Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got holes on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And hey everybody, welcome In the Booth on a Monday of a Thanksgiving week. Things just slightly slower this week, but uh, all kinds of good stuff going on last week. Obviously, huge buildup to that trip to New York, and the results of the games all went uh, the wrong way from a, a Syracuse perspective. If you're looking for the Orange to have had their first, or not, I shouldn't say first, but their biggest football win in two decades, or to exert their dominance on the basketball hardwood, well, those things didn't happen, and there's lots of season left to be played. Certainly in hoops, we're going to talk with Jim Beheim tonight in the first. AmeriCU Jim Beheim show of the season. It's over at Caraba's new location. Hope to see you there at 7 o'clock tonight. We'll get Coach's thoughts on just uh, what he wants to see different moving forward. Certainly, as we talked about, the health of Frank Howard has a lot to do with the composition of the roster and the rotation, but he'd be the first to say that alone isn't enough. You know, our offense was so bad and the shooting was so bad that it leaked over into our defense. And, uh, you know, it just, no matter what you're doing on offense, you've got to be able to get something back on defense. And we couldn't do that. And I think Oregon's good. They're a good team. They're a solid team. But if we're not shooting, we're not shooting the ball from the three. And when you're playing against a zone, you know, you have to make some of those shots. And we're just not shooting well enough to compete against a good zone defense right now you know there was this is a wake-up call we've learned that we're not very good and this isn't really about frank howard because jalen carey played fine down here it really wasn't jalen did a good job i'd like to have frank but jalen did a very good job and he'll be ready to help us when frank comes back but you know our big guys have got to be more aggressive get on the boards better and uh you know our three, our, our primary guys are, you know, Tyus and O'Shea have to, they have to put points up on the board for us to win. We're not going to win if they can't score. Well, that's a fact. And uh, the Orange only scored 65 points in that game against Oregon. A couple of things, and we don't want to spend it all uh, here in the very top of the show. We'll have Coach Beheim on later tonight. We're going to talk with Mike Waters here in a few minutes about uh, Syracuse basketball. First of all, Oregon is a good team. They're a legit top 15 team. Bull Bull is a complete stud and a lot to contend with with whoever Oregon lines up with. He's just so skilled, so athletic on top of being 7-2 that he's going to stuff the stat sheet on a regular basis. He had a career-high 26 points against Syracuse with nine rebounds, four block shots, three steals. He makes things happen. And Peyton Pritchard's a really good point guard. A guy who's been around now in his junior season. He's played a ton. He's tough. He shoots it, handles the ball very well, was not flustered by the press. So that was not a great matchup on that night. I think if Syracuse and Oregon wound up meeting in March, maybe things can be different. Maybe February or January it'll be different. But on Thursday night in New York, Oregon 
was the better team. The Orange are sputtering here out of the gates a bit and are 2-2 two and two heading into Wednesday's game, 7 o'clock, against uh, Colgate in the Dome. So we'll get back into uh, basketball in a bit. The only other thing I would say about that, and we'll get into with, with Mike Waters, Jalen Carey and Frank Howard are slightly different players. Coach Beheim's right. Carey had a good trip to Madison Square Garden, scored 40 points combined in the two games. He had one assist, though, in 36 minutes. Of course, you don't get assists when shots aren't falling, so that's one of the reasons. But he's not going to be a facilitator to the degree that Frank Howard is, we think. But let's see uh, how it plays out. And the hope, this is not with any inside knowledge or anything, but that Frank is progressing enough. I think you'd like to see him on the court at least some against Colgate on uh, Wednesday. Have your team sort of at its full complement and doing some things. And then go on the road the following Wednesday against another major conference opponent, Ohio State, who's currently unbeaten, and just see what you've got there in another test. But you'd like to at least have the team as you draw it up, as you put it on paper in that game. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44 if you'd like to be on the program this afternoon. So we'll set basketball aside. We'll get into that with Mike Waters in a moment. Football, we'd said about the Louisville game, win that and you guarantee that you stay in the polls through the end of the regular season. That's a little bit in doubt now because of the margin of loss at Notre Dame because of the way the Orange lost by their starting quarterback, Eric Dungy, being knocked out of the game, making him questionable to doubtful for Saturday. The line is something like seven already on Saturday's game, which is a lot. And we'll get into that game in the ensuing days in terms of what it might take to uh, to get it done against Boston College, but now if you do go lose to BC, you're back to 8-4, and four. and yes, you've flipped the performance from these recent 4-8 and eight seasons, and a lot of great things have come from Syracuse football this year, but you'll have ended the regular season on that kind of downturn. But Boston College can be beaten. BC was beaten on Saturday by Florida State. BC has injury issues of its own. And uh, it's a great way to end the year. Syracuse and Boston College, that uh, Week 13 matchup, makes a good deal of sense. We'll get to uh, Mike Waters here on the show in just a bit. Let's get to uh, Steve in North Syracuse right away. Hello, Steve. How are you? Uh, well, p- pretty good considering the way the weekend went. And by the way, don't uh, don't tell Coach Q that no Syracuse team won last week because his team came through. Uh, uh I, I firstly have a, a little bit of a point of order about something that came up on the prior show, and then I want to talk about Frank Howard. I was talking about how the field goal attempts at the end of the Notre Dame game may have been attempts to make to give uh, Andre Schmidt a maximum chance to set the national record for, for field goals, and the response was that he needed only one more for the ACC record, and he could have gotten that at any time. He needed five more to get the national record. He got one in that game, so now it's four more. But you, you didn't know for sure that he'd get five attempts at field goals in the last two games, and that's why I think that Dino Babers was trying to give him as many shots as he could late in that game when the outcome had long been decided. Uh, on the subject of Frank Howard, uh, uh, I'm wondering if Frank has maybe missed as much on defense as 
he is on offense because he's a bigger guard. He's a veteran guard. He was part of that defensive effort last year. Uh, uh, Hughes and Carey are really exciting players, really good offensive players. They're a little bit shorter than the players we would normally have in those spots. And they're, uh, uh, Carey's a freshman and Hughes is in his first year in the program. I think they're almost like Gillen and White two years ago who were exciting offensive players, but we weren't as good defensively because they were in there. And it's going to be interesting seeing the decisions that Bayheim makes about who he wants in there when he's got two gifted offensive players who aren't necessarily great defensively and are also, by the way, having a lot of turnovers, or does he want his veteran players who may not uh, fill, fill the basket quite as much, but they're more solid on defense with them in there? Yeah, those are uh, two good things. Let me take the, the first one, Steve, on uh, Andre Schmidt. I think the reason he was in the game there was to avoid a shutout. I don't think it had as much to do with the padding of the stats to get to the record, although it did serve that purpose. I think Dino Babers is very uh, prideful about his offensive statistics over the years and not being shut out. And, you know, they were on the road at Clemson in, in 2016 against a very good team, and they didn't, frankly, have any chances in that game. They, uh, Dungy was out something like seven plays in, and uh, it was similar in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe not quite as uh, that game was a little more futile, I think, in terms of the offense. This year's team has a better defense and better players in general. I think it was not to have a, a goose egg on the board there. It'd be an interesting test if they had made the field goal that Schmidt missed, which at least took the zero off the board. Would they have gone for the field goal with 10 seconds to go? And, and maybe not. Uh, his explanation after the game was something about. You know, injuries and didn't want to run more plays. I mean, their whole offense is about running a lot of plays. So um, I don't really think it's about that in that situation. You can get hurt on a kicking play, too, even though um, it's not quite the same types of collisions. Andre Schmidt right now has a really good chance to get this record. It's a, a little bit of a dubious record in, in the slightest, only in, some, in as much as obviously touchdowns are still better than field goals and I don't know how many field goals they're kicking at Alabama and Texas Tech and these places that run the ball up and down, you know, get it up and down the field, Washington State. He's been an awesome kicker throughout the year. To see him miss the one that he did was even a bit surprising on a tight angle outdoors in the wind, uh, and he still has another two games to come, both outdoors. He might very well get there. I, I could see him putting up huge numbers. Uh, he could set the single-season record record. This year, and who's to say he doesn't continue to pile on and go for uh, career-type records? I think he's he's really good. It's just hard to predict the future of kickers because they also can be fragile and, and follow up great years with, with not-so-great years. So that one was more about avoiding the shutout, in my opinion, than going for any uh, national record individually. The other thing on point guard defense, we'll talk about that a little bit with uh, Coach Beheim tonight and with Mike Waters here coming up in a bit. Frank Howard, you know, is six five and he knows where he's supposed to be in the defense. I think he will make an impact there. I'm not ready to say that they're gonna be as poor defensively as that team was when it was fronted by John Gillen and Andrew White. White's a was a bigger guy. White had a lot of steals, but was not known for his defensive prowess. And Gillen, you know, 
was 5'11", six feet tall, and not known for his defensive prowess and not long enough to do much of anything if if he was. So uh, I, I think they're further along than that. But this season's very young. It, they're 2-2. They're two and two. It's um, not where they are accustomed to being at this time of year. But I also think that whole idea, they get out of the rankings. This won't be the first time that they're unranked either at the start of the season or very early in the season. You disappear a little bit from the public view, and then in February, here they come. And I can see that happening with this team, but they do have some issues to work on. We'll talk about that with Mike Waters as we continue. Yes, sir, and, and Frank Howard led the ACC by 20 steals last right, year, so right. it's definitely going to be better when he gets back. So. Right. Um, everything's going to be better when he gets back. It's going to mean a different distribution of the minutes, and we'll see how that unfolds. But uh, this team, you know, I think I heard somebody say, well, they not very good without their point guard. No team, you know, take the starting point guard off any team. It's going to impact them. That's same thing with football and the quarterback, and there's a lot to be, uh, be said for that. So, very early in the year, lots to come, lots to come on the show, and we'll set you up for the rest of the week as well as we continue in this Thanksgiving week, Monday, In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Welcome back In the Booth. Good to have you with us on this Monday. We moved up our regular Thursday guest just because he's that popular for no other reason whatsoever. We thought we would visit with our friend, Mike Waters and on the show today. And we're thankful for him. Yes, we are thankful for him. It's not like we'll be stuffing our faces with turkey at this exact time on Thursday afternoon or anything like that, but we thought we would have Mike on. Hello, Mike. Call me at 2.15 on Thursday, and I'm liable to be asleep on the couch uh, <laughs> after eating all the turkey. Would it be funny if uh, you're with your family and I'm with my family and we, we just called for eight minutes to talk <laughs> talk basketball? <laughs> Well, without casting any aspersions on my in-laws, I might be happy for a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could kind of kind of get into that. We could talk about the pumpkin pie, and I saw a commercial today with pumpkin pie on it, and I got so excited. Like, I, I, I just think this is the year that I might take down a whole pie by myself. I want a full report next week. You got it. I might regret it, but I, I think uh, oh. this could be the... A whole pie's to, a lot. Whole pie's a lot, but I, I think that's a, as pies go. It's a little bit of a lighter pie. You know, it's not like the the big chunks of the apples and stuff. So good to have gold the, with the with this various stress eating that we've been doing for the last month. Anyway, maybe um, you know, maybe a whole pie is just what we need to, to top it off. So, Mike, we <laughs> thought we'd hit on a bunch of things here, um, but I think they're all under the heading of where do we go from here? Uh, th- this is a team that's not used to being. Uh, two and two at this point in the season. We know that there's a valuable player out. Uh, Jim Beheim will tell you because we always ask him, "Hey, what what aspects of your team need to be improved?" Well, they all need. You know, he, he's never going to have any response other than we need to get better in every way imaginable. But what do you think is the first order of business at practice this week? Defense, uh, because I I think that's the most fixable thing, um, and so I think you need to fix things fast. Uh, there's so many things that uh, they need to work on, but uh, in order to turn things around and, and start winning games immediately, uh, you got to play better on defense. And I think they can't. I, I can't understand why they didn't. I mean, I know they're without Frank Howard, and he's your returning starter at the point. 
And I really get why not having Frank out there can affect the offense. And even though he did lead the ACC in defense last year, the next guy up should be able to play defense, whether it's Tyus Battle and Buddy Beheim in the backcourt or Jalen Carey and Tyus, Tyus Battle in the backcourt. Uh, you you got to play better on defense um, to, to allow the, the shooting, to allow Oregon to shoot 50% from the field. To UConn essentially shot 50% from the field, and they both scored at least 80 points. Uh, you know, I had to look it up. When was the last time Syracuse allowed – 80 or more points in back-to-back games, and you went back uh, like a season and a half. Uh, the lack of defense in New York City was just, to me, that was shocking. But that is fixable because you still have the guys that played defense for you last year, minus Frank, and there's no reason why Jalen Carey, Buddy Beheim, Elijah Hughes, uh, all these guys cannot play defense to, to the same level that they did a year ago. To me, the lasting image of the Connecticut game will be the extra pass or an exceptionally deep three, and they made a lot of them. They had a lot of open looks. They had a lot of late closeouts on the Syracuse defense, and that's how you can understand Connecticut winning that game. Uh, the Oregon game, you know, you talk about shooting 50%. It wasn't because Bull Bull was above the rim and his shots are easy because he had a lot of easy ones. But he was only, you know, I say in quotes, only 11 of 17. It, it wasn't the the performance that kind of skews the team's overall uh, shooting percentage. And then the lasting image of that one for me is the Orange go to press to kind of, you know, create some disturbance on the floor. And Peyton Pritchard, specifically for Oregon, so strong with the ball that that didn't really work that well. Uh and so then I think Syracuse kind of loses its identity a little bit when it can't create chaos with the press. You're right on both, on both counts. And, you know, against Connecticut and a little bit against Oregon too, the zone, they allowed penetration. They allowed the ball to get inside the zone. You can't let that happen because you know, the ball gets inside the zone and the zone's going to basically collapse uh, like a house of cards. Um, you know, Connecticut was able to get the ball inside. And, and then kicked it out for threes. Oregon got the ball inside and scored. Uh, that's where your ball ball points come from. Uh, all those little shots in the lane, he showed a magnificent shooting touch. Um, you know, yes, he made one three-pointer, but to me, shooting touch is on those 10 to 12-footers. And, man, they were just softly rippling through the net uh, all night long. And then you had guys like Kenny Wooten scoring. And uh, so – Again, the guard's got to keep the ball out of the lane. you got to know how to defend the high post if the ball does get there because every team in the world tries to get the ball to the high post against the zone, and they will at times, and then it's incumbent on the defense to, to know how you're going to defend it. Uh, I, you know, I was shocked to see Barama Sidibe, Pascal Chukwu uh, to getting taken advantage of inside by the big men from both teams, and especially Oregon. And I... Listen, I know Bull Bull's good, and, and his his potential has him as an NBA draft pick. But he, he weighs a buck eighty. Yeah, it's not like this is one of the guys that Pascal and Barama historically have problems with. You know, one of those big bruisers in there. Uh, you know, like the kid from Kansas or or whoever. You know, or even the Connecticut guys the night before that were stronger, more experienced guys. Bull Bull's a toothpick. And Pascal should have been pushing him around, if anything, and and they didn't do it. They they let this you know you know tall skinny kid 
just wander wherever he felt like uh, without any um, <laughs> without any uh, anything ever happening to him. You, you push him around, knock him around. Well, it's funny, uh, and, and I know it's maybe not the nature of your game, but to me, I, Syracuse just played without any life or intensity on both nights. You know, you use the expression "not to cast aspersions." Not to cast aspersions on Pascal Chuku. I think it's fair to say he's not a sharp elbow guy. He's got sharp elbows. <laughs> well, he just doesn't use them. Literally, I, I, yeah. But he, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I just think he's a he's a nice guy. Wants to get along with everybody. He's a, a smart guy, and he doesn't have that Derek Coleman in him, which would oh. and very few do have it to DC's level. But somebody that is just going to knock you on your but for the sake of doing it to establish a presence. But Pascal doesn't have that in his genes, I don't think. Well, you know what? Somebody needs to really disparage his mother before the <laughs> opening tip and get him mad. You know, do something. I mean, you, you can't just go out there and let Bull Bull, like I said, wander wherever he feels like inside the lane. I mean, uh, and I know it's not your natural game, but and it's not just Pascal, but, you know, where's those Shaber set hanging out these days? Yeah. Uh, you know, apparently it's the three-point line, and I don't know if he's got it in his head that he needs to shoot threes to impress NBA scouts, but they're not impressed. Well, not, they're not I impressed gotta, by shooting. They're impressed by making. That, that's the difference. There's a big difference. And <laughs> when you're one for nine from three at Madison Square Garden, you're pretty much exposing yourself as a guy who's not ready yet. But you know what he could do? He could take the ball to the basket. He did it successfully, you know, with some success last year. I think he's better prepared to do it this year to go in there and finish at the rim. When when O'Shea against Oregon took 12 shots and nine of them were from three-point range and he only made one, I'm just like, you know, at some point, you got to throw the Paul Harris restrictions on him. And it's like if you take one more three, you're sitting on the bench because it's not working. And it's not you right now. Take the ball to the basket. Mike Waters is our guest, Syracuse.com uh, basketball beat writer. For the record, Brissett against Oregon, 9 of his 12. So three quarters of his field goal attempts were from beyond the arc. And the night before against UConn, only 4 of 15 were. That's a little bit more in uh, in range. That's about what you'd like to see. And in this case, the Orange were down a lot of it, so they, they do still give you more points for those threes. If you can get them to go in, you can see the justification, but not when mm-hmm. none of them are going in. Anything more on uh, Frank here, uh, Mike, with Colgate? I mean, the schedule lays out in such a way that if he could get a few minutes, you feel like against Colgate they could start to snap back a little bit to more how they want to play, and then you've got another week you know, at least a few days on the other side of a little Thanksgiving break to get ready for another major contest in Ohio State. Yeah, I headed up to practice here probably as soon as uh, I get off the phone with you and, and, and anxiously waiting to see, you know, what Frank Howard, if he's out there and, and what he's able to do. And uh, I think it would obviously be of great benefit to Frank uh, if he has been able to practice here for a couple of days and can play against Colgate as – Jim Beheim sort of intimated might be the case after uh, the Oregon game on Friday night, hoping that Frank might be able to play or practice rather Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, play on Wednesday. Because if you can play just even a little bit uh, against Colgate and get on the court, then that's better than playing for the first time uh, in over two and a half months 
Because remember, he's just not – it's not like he's been sitting out or anything. He's, he's lost his whole preseason, no practices, nothing. And you'd be asking him in a week from now to, to go out there and play on national TV at Ohio State. And uh, that's a real tough ask uh, for anybody. Uh, so if he can play a little bit against Colgate, I think that'd be wonderful for Frank. Also good for the team to kind of get work him back in there a little bit. I do think they need him uh, desperately because you know, everyone's pointed out that Jalen Carey played pretty well down at Madison Square Garden. I think in pretty well might be underselling it. He played really well against uh, Connecticut after that first four minutes uh, where he looked like Bambi on ice out there and was turning the ball over three or four times. But, yeah, he scored 26 points uh, against Connecticut at the Garden uh, on a tough night for everybody besides himself and played pretty well the next night against Oregon. But the thing that stuck out to me was in, in the two games combined, he had a grand total of one assist. You know, and that's while playing 36 minutes against Oregon and, and, and 30-something against Connecticut. That's a lot of court time for your quote-unquote point guard to only have one assist. And – Yes, to have an assist, it means someone needs to make a shot, and there weren't many guys doing that. Um, but still, point guards create shots for others and set guys up for a makeable shot, and he wasn't really doing that part of the game. So I still put a lot of importance on Frank's return, and I think he can help him at both ends of the court. Agreed, and I think there's complementary effects here to the things we're talking about. If the defense gets better, you're getting – Runouts and easier baskets, I think, in the transition game. And that's where a, a Jalen Carey's going to thrive. He looks, and Coach Sadlin's been talking about it in the last couple of broadcasts, this is not meant to be calling Jalen Carey selfish. It's, it's not that. It's just the way he's wired and built and trained as a player. He is a scorer. That's what he's there to do. He's not a facilitator, which is what you typically ask of your point guard. Frank Howard's a little bit more geared to that. And that's something that might change, but you, you could have both of them on the same on the floor at the same time. You've got a lot well, of weapons there uh, on this team, and it's just a matter of figuring it out. Exactly. I mean, and, and Jim Beheim alluded to that again on Friday after the loss to Oregon about getting Frank back, and it doesn't necessarily mean that Jalen has to go to the bench. Uh, he said that they could play Frank with Jalen. Uh, Frank a year ago was their uh, highest uh, percentage on three-pointers when it was a spot-up shot. So you move Frank off the ball a little bit, and maybe he can help this uh, really poor three-point shooting that they're suffering through right now. Or maybe you let Frank uh, run the point, and Jalen's your off-the-ball guy, and let him create and act like a two-guard, which I think is right now his more natural instinct because he largely played that in high school with just a little bit of time at the point. And and you move Tyus Battle to the three uh, if you want to you know keep him out there. Then I I would think that that's the best way to go. And especially because you know down in New York, it's not like Elijah Hughes lit, lit the world on fire either. He struggled from three point range. Well, maybe not relative to everybody else, but relative to to how you would hope he would shoot it. And I don't know. I think right now you're you're looking for some answers, and you're willing to try everything. Yep, I agree. So, sounds like uh, us on Thanksgiving Day, Mike, ready to try everything. And we'll, especially the pumpkin pie that's in your right. case. A little so. bit more work to uh, to get out of the way uh, before that. So, we'll see you at the game Wednesday, maybe practice tomorrow and uh Godspeed. We'll uh, we'll catch up soon again, okay? Sounds great, Matt. You have a great day. All right, Mike Waters from uh, Syracuse.com. I think where everybody gets excited 
in the offseason, myself included, is, oh, look at all these weapons. You got Frank Howard, Jalen Carey, Tyus Battle, Elijah Hughes. Look how this is going to come together. Well, it doesn't always work quite that way, and there's still going to be some figuring it out. Syracuse has better players than a lot of the teams they're going to face, but what roles are they in? What spots are they in on the floor? And that will take some time to gel. Tyus Battles played out of position in a couple of the games to this point. Jalen Carey, as we mentioned, is just the slightest bit out of position, but uh, the return of Frank Howard will help there. Is it a panacea that's going to fix everything with just his arrival on the scene? Heck no. Uh, But uh, I think they played about as poorly as they could in those two games against quality teams. Connecticut's better than you think, and Oregon is a top 15 to top 20 team. So the other thing quickly, that game meant more to Connecticut than it will to Syracuse. UConn's not going to have a ton of opportunities against ranked teams in the regular season. Syracuse will have plenty, so there'll be opportunities to uh, make up for uh, what went down in New York. All right, we're overdue here for a timeout. We'll be back with Do We Care in a moment. In the Booth continues on a Monday on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth. It's Monday. Polly's in need of a vacation like everybody else. Hit the button, Polly. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care Don't care The Cleveland Indians have decided to completely drop the Chief Wahoo logo from their hat and their uniform now. They're going completely Chief Wahoo-less. It's been uh, a long time in coming. They pledged to do this a couple years ago. I haven't actually seen the new uh, uniforms yet, but I assume they have to do with their kind of the older look with just the curvy uh, Cleveland font. We're kind of bringing yep. that up now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, um, th- this shouldn't have taken as long um, as it did. I, whoops. Hello. It shouldn't <laughs> have taken as long as it did. The uh, I like the Indians look. I do like the Chief Wahoo thing if it were if it were not deemed to be offensive but it is offensive because of the caricature nature of it and once it's been expressed by the native american people that it it's offensive and whatever just it's not worth holding on to is what i would sure. say so they have other looks i like that kind of uh, stylized c i like the indians with the script it's clean it's classic it's uh, very you know, American League, you know, and it it works. So I think this is, you know, in the end, everybody wins here. They make something. I like their just kind of plain block, like Boston and New York, you know, for the road uniforms and and uh, and go from there. And and this will not be missed. The Wahoo used to be on the shoulder, like on the on the sleeve, but they actually had the All Star game this year, so they have they have that to go there now. So I'm interested to see what next year, maybe if they'll have some other sort of logo that they'll create to Probably put on the sleeve, or, or they're just going to leave it blank now and, and not really yeah, have a replacement. Nobody said you have to have anything sure, no. on, your, on your sleeve. I mean, I, I like the Block C hats. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I I think the Chief Wahoo thing is a clever deal, but that's only if you ignore the fact that it offends people. And uh, if it offends people, then it's got to go. Uh, some other baseball news. Paulie, you're... San Diego Padres, they have changed their 
double-A affiliates named to the Amarillo Sod Poodles. Um, it was one of 3,000 name ideas that got submitted. The five finalists were the Amarillo Jerky, the Long Haulers, the Bronc Busters, and Boot Scooters to go along with the Sod Poodles. It wasn't the popular opinion or the popular choice to begin with, but two local dignitaries wrote songs about... Just stop right one second. There are no local dignitaries in Amarillo, Texas. That's what they're reporting, at least. But The fair. mayor? Yeah. The mayor of Amarillo is <laughs> yeah. a local dignitary. Okay. And the local Chick-fil-A the, actually second, had the, guy who, the manager of the Chick-fil-A in Amarillo, <laughs> Texas, qualifies as a dignitary. The, the comptroller? Yeah. Uh, they put chicken tastes better than sod poodles on their marquee, and it got a lot of talk around town, and they went with the sod poodles. Yeah, I, I don't like this. I, I mean, I'm all for the local nicknames. I think my record on this is is uh, pretty clear. I think the best of these, I'm all for local. I'd rather Syracuse be the Chiefs than the Mets. We talked about that. Happy in the long run, you know, if going changing the local team's name to the Mets comes with a 25-year pledge to improve the stadium, whatever, then that's a better trade-off. It's a net positive uh, for the organization. The local nickname, though, is something the local community can rally around. It's irrespective of the affiliate, which might change. You know, the San Diego Padres have nothing to do with this. Uh, this is the local operation in Amarillo that makes it happen. And where I think this trend in the industry has gone too far is you still have to realize these are professional athletes. These are human beings in the uniforms and God bless you for selling more shirts and stuff. I have no problem with switching to salt potatoes once in a while and some of these other things, but for a professional athlete to call home and tell his buddies or his mom, yeah, I'm a sod poodle now. (laughs) That to me is a, is a little far. So look at some of these choices. I think, you know, long haulers that kind of makes me think of the, you know, the 50s Texas League or something. Bronc Busters, Boot Scooters, I'd be fine with any of those three. The the Jerky, to me, is is probably too much. And Sod Poodles, you know, it sounds contrived. It sounds like you're trying to do it uh, for attention. Maybe they have a great logo and, and whatever, um, but I'm poo-pooing this one big time. Better than the Akron Rubber Duckies, though? Don't like that. I don't no? like Rubber Duckies. They were the Ducks before... Uh, no, I'm sorry. They were the arrows before. That's fine. That you know that promotes their local uh, aerospace history. I mean, I like ones that, that have something to do with the history. They weren't just pulled out of a hat or or something like that. Now, speaking of that, literally, I mean, I was one of the first people that had a Carolina Mudcats hat. You know, that was the first team that said, "Okay, we're doing something different here." They had an awesome logo. You know, 25 years ago, I bought the hat. Well, now everybody's done done that to a degree, you know, and uh, I'm just saying some are better than others, and I think in a lot of cases they've gone too far. Rubber Duckies doesn't have any anything to do with the Akron history? No, it probably it does. It I'm does? sure it does, but I, well, I mean, you would that's hope where, so at least. you know, Firestone and all that are there. Obviously, they've, they have, uh, they're in the rubber industry in, in Akron, but there's, you know, there's only so far you can go with that. I just think r- Rubber Duckies to me is a little, a little on the cute side. Sure. For they're just prof- ducks. Come on. The rubber ducks. They're not the rubber oh, duckies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, that's much better. <laughs> much better, yes. Uh, Canadian curl- curlers, they were booted from a competition this weekend for being extremely drunk. And I feel like curling is actually a sport where this should be accepted by the athlete. The athletes should be able to be drunk while playing this. Yeah, I don't know about that. I do think that it is, 
it is a sport where that's sort of intrinsic to it. Everybody yeah. says it. They're, they're they're first to talk about how they uh, meet up and they've got the beers afterwards and and uh, the whole deal. I mean, obviously, if they're over the line, which it sounds like in this case, there, there's no place uh, for it in terms of. You know, I don't know if you're putting it on television or if you're selling, yeah. charging admission for it to be there. If you want to be taken seriously as athletic uh, competition, then you know, no bueno in that situation. But uh, that's a Canadian curling for you. Apparently, they were kicking other teams' stuff around the locker room and breaking the brooms and stuff. So yeah, they did go a little over the top, but drinking, like you said, is is part of this. Do you guys watch? Curling in the, and Winter the Olympics, Olympics, absolutely. Yep. I think it might be my favorite Winter Olympic sport. It's very. It's not my favorite. My favorite is biathlon. I think it's pretty cool. Sure. The guys that go around on the uh, cross country skiing and then stop to to, shoot. to fire a gun is yeah. pretty cool. But no, curling is neat. Curling looks like something to be fun to try. Like yeah. bowling, I, I'm I know, and I've never done it, but I could tell you without doing it, and I know from people who have, it's a lot harder than it looks, and uh, you know, probably shouldn't be doing it drunk not that it's unsafe you're not going to hurt anybody but uh probably not a great example Stephen finally got setting. the chance to, yeah. to try it during, I've done the, during it. the fair any success no it's hard that's a, did it's did a big stone over? for polly no <laughs> i did it i did it as a tv segment and it yeah. went horribly wrong yeah well uh, did you just completely tip over no i, I, I did it, it just it was i wasn't good at it it's yeah. hard it is hard yes all right uh didn't get to much of the dino baber stuff we've got uh, all kinds of sound from him to share Tomorrow on the show, Cam Lynch of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be with us. Wednesday, Adam Terry, perhaps uh, Bob Wischusen, who has the game on uh, Saturday in uh, Boston, the Orange, and B.C. at noon. So for Polly and Tommy, I'm Matt. Thanks for listening, everybody. Brent Axe coming up in a bit. Jim Beheim tonight.